We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Josh. I serve as one of the pastors here, and we're excited to be in week two of a series we have called This Is What We Do. I'm excited to tell you that we're talking about money and uh, generosity and possessions and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, if you're just, if you took a flyer this week and you're like, I'm going to try out Bridgewater and you came and now you're like, oh, I knew it. Where this is what they do. They're talking about money. What I hope today honestly does for not only you, but everyone who regularly is a part of Bridgewater is to just help melt away the filter through which you view money, possessions, finances, generosity, and really take on uh, Jesus' way of thinking when it comes to these things. And hopefully uh, we will learn as we go through this series that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, even as we talk about these things. We, we want to be careful to point out that we believe that God has been generous with us. And so as we talk about money, as we talk about generosity and our possessions, um, it's not out of compulsion or duty or obligation or manipulation that we give. It's just a response to how good God has been to all of us. So the this is what this series is all about. Our world is obsessed with money. I don't think that should be news to you. It's not just here locally we're obsessed with it. Everyone's obsessed with it. Those uh, people who don't have a whole lot of money, think about money. People who have a lot of money, think about money. We just kind of do. And it doesn't, it doesn't reserve itself for uh, certain types of people or certain occupations or callings. Uh, you might know this gentleman I'm going to highlight here. Um, that guy right there. Matthew Perry is his name. Uh, he was on the hit star, uh, show Friends, one of the stars of that show. I'm not saying you should watch it. I'm just saying it happened and he was on it. And uh, he was one who chased fame. He, he just knew, he just had this itch that had to be scratched. And he went hard after it. And in his memoir, here's what he said. Nobody wanted to be famous more than me, Perry told the Times in April, discussing friends, lovers, and the big terrible thing at the Festival of Books. I was convinced it was the answer. I was 25. It was the second year of Friends, and eight months into it, I realized the American dream is not making me happy, not filling the holes in my life. I couldn't get enough attention. Fame does not do what you think it's going to do. It was all a trick. That last sentence just haunts me. It's bait and switch. It's you think you're going to get, nope, you're not. You're actually getting something else. What kind of scale are we talking about that wasn't making him happy? What, what was not able to scratch the itch? Worldwide acclaim? Final two seasons of that show, each of the six main people in it making $1 million an episode. Even today, it's in syndication. They earn, on average, $20 million annually because the show happened at one time and it's still being played in some places. It doesn't do what he thought it would do. And we're not immune. We're not exempt from that either. Last week, we talked about one flaw in our thinking as we consider money and possessions. We talked about the flaw of viewing it as mine. This is mine. I earned it. I, I figured it out. I did it. Look what I did. And now I'm going to figure out what to do with it. We said, no, last week, what we have is not ours to own and to call the shots with. It's ours to manage and to figure out what the one who owns it wants us to do with it. It's from God. All we have is from God. All we have is for God. And we do not 
have the option as followers of Jesus, is figuring out, uh, figuring out what I want to do. We want to figure out what God would have us do with his stuff. How does he want it used? That's what we talked about. And so our first step in this is what we do is we put God first. We put him first. And how do we do that? We give. And giving helps release the grip of money and more, and possessions on our heart, and makes us generous people. Well, we just give to God what we have, and watch Him multiply it, and bless others with it, to do something with it that we could never have hoped to do ourselves. But if we're really going to lean in and figure out what God would have us do with all of this, we have to admit that there, there's a gap in our understanding, a gap between what we think about money and possessions, and what God thinks about money and possessions. We want to address that gap. Week one, we put God first. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I want to start this way. It's fall, or at least it was for a couple weeks. Uh, it was really nice there for a few weeks and really, really pretty. Now it's, we're in that, the, the nether world in between uh, fall and just bone-chilling cold. And uh, I know that a lot of people in the fall like to make the most of it. One of the common things you can do in the fall is visit a place like this. You go to an apple orchard, right? You pick the apples. It's really, really fun. It's not really a thing that I think about doing, but I love when others do and think of me. While they do it, my uh, three daughters went to an orchard, went, visited the cider mill, and they brought me home uh, some cider, which was great. Uh, some apples, which I loved, and donuts. I don't know what those have to do with apples. I'm just glad they brought them home. Really, really good. And uh, it's interesting when you consider an orchard uh, and all of these apples on the ground and on the trees, what it took to, to, to produce all those apples. I think agriculturally, we know what it took to produce those apples. It took apple seeds. That's what you do. You plant seeds in the ground and you get apples. And I think that we understand in the world of agriculture, when you plant an apple seed that you can hardly, if at all, see in my hand, you plant one of these things, you don't get an apple. It's not a one-to-one -one ratio. And here I'm speaking, this is above my pay grade because I don't do this. Some of you do. You plant this thing and what you get is an exponential number of apples, Lord willing. Put it in the ground, it does its thing, and you get you get all these from one of those. It's, it's really amazing. We get it. Seeds are incredible things. It's been said, you can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And I want you to hang on to that because as we get into what Jesus has to say about money and about the stuff that we have, we need to keep this in mind. It's going to help us understand where he's going because I think agriculturally, we can make a connection between a seed and a crop. All right, we get it. I don't think, at least I personally, don't really make the connection between my money and a crop. My money is what it is. It's a commodity. I give it to you. You give me what that money, uh, you know, what's, what it's represented to be worth. So I, I get it. I think we know what we think about money. I think God knows what we think about money, but I think we need to know what God thinks about money, and that's our task today. So we're really going to get into another flaw in our thinking. Last week, the flaw, as I said, was money is mine. My stuff is 
mine. Here's another flaw, and I think it's represented in a way that we tend to address the problems that we face in life. All right, we all have, we all have this natural way of thinking, I don't even think it's all bad. Sometimes it's necessary, but I think it bleeds over into areas that it really shouldn't. Here's the way this thinking goes. The problem is this big. My resources are this big. So there's nothing I can do about my problem. I don't have the resources that I need. Big problem, little resources. That makes sense, right? And when we think that way, what happens without us even knowing it is we miss out on opportunities to do something special for people. We miss out on, on opportunities to be in, involved in something that's really, really amazing. We, we grow cold and, and unintentionally numb to the needs of others because the size of the need is huge and the size of what I'm able to do about it is ridiculously small in comparison. So we miss out really because we're just kind of thinking about it the wrong way, asking the wrong question. In fact, it gets worse than that. You and I can sometimes be like the person described by the writer of Proverbs here in Proverbs 23, verses 6 and 7. He says, don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies, for they're always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. Maybe you've been in that spot. Maybe you've been with people who are in that spot. You know, you, you plan a meal, you invite a whole bunch of people over, and the whole time you're complaining about the work it takes and, and how much they ate and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what that has to do with this week, but um, you might find it helpful for you considering the holiday season we're heading into. We can get cold about what we have. And this way of thinking is not a new problem. It's really not even just an us problem, our location, our culture, any of that. Uh, this faulty way of thinking has permeated ages and generations and geographic locations. In fact, during the time Jesus was ministering on earth, before his death and before his resurrection, he was on his mission, sent by God to help people bring, uh, bring people into a right relationship with God. He was teaching. He was performing miracles. He was doing all kinds of things. And a few of those things that he did were recorded by all four of the gospel writers. These are four people who, who basically wrote an authorized biography of Jesus' life. And they all come from a different perspective and highlight different things. But every now and again, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the same exact event. And the event that we're going to look at today is captured by all four. It's one of those situations where the need was huge. The resources to meet the need, very small. And you've got the disciples' plan and, and, and plan of attack, how they're going to figure out how, how to meet the need. And then you've got Jesus' perspective on the matter too. We're going to watch all of that play out. And Jesus introduces to his 12 closest followers, how to ask a better question. Let's get into it. Uh, we are going to be in three of the four Gospels today. We're going to be in Matthew and Mark. So Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. Uh, so if you're going to try to keep up with that, have fun. Uh, if not, I've got it on the screen for you. Uh, so don't, don't worry about it. Here's, here's how Matthew gets started in Matthew 14. As soon as Jesus heard the news, and that news would be that John the Baptist, his cousin, had died. As soon as he heard that news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. 
Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Let's make sure we have the picture of what's going on here. As Jesus is traveling around his ministry, helping people, teaching people, meeting needs and performing miracles, tragedy strikes. His cousin is executed. He's heartbroken. He's sad. It's not like he just wants a nap. He's in the middle of tragedy. And he's being followed by people. As he's helping people, he just wants to get alone. And it's at this moment I realize that I am not near like Jesus like I want to be and like I sometimes think I am. Because if I'm in that spot and people are hounding me, compassion would not be the word that you could use to describe me in that situation. He just wanted to get away, but the crowds came. In fact, some of the gospel writers say they ran on ahead. They didn't like meet him when, you know, catch up to him. They beat him. And they were there when he arrived. Mark 6.31 tells us there had been so many people coming around Jesus and his disciples, they hadn't even had time to eat. Let me just quickly say, if you're involved in helping with funerals and funeral dinners and caring for a family who's, who's lost, you help with that, bless you. People who are in that situation are not thinking about their meal. They're just grieving and they're going about the calling hours and the funeral and all of that. It's such a blessing to have people come alongside and just take care of that kind of stuff. So thank you if you're involved in that. But they didn't eat anything. Verse 15 in Matthew 14 says, That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Mark's perspective shows us this, Mark 6, 35. Late in the afternoon his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, here's where we begin to see the perspective, the way of thinking that the disciples employed. It's getting late. A lot of people. This is going to be a problem because I think the need that we're looking at here outsizes what we're able to do about it, Jesus. Send them away. There are villages. There are farms. I'm sure the people can find something. So they proposed to have the crowd take care of it themselves. Mark 6, 37, but Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said, no, no, don't send them away. That's not necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. This is where I find Jesus' approach to this whole thing really interesting. He didn't say, your way of thinking is wrong. Let me tell you what you need to be doing. He didn't just correct them. He did something really profound. He brought them to the point where they knew that what they had wasn't enough. He needed them to see it for themselves. He could have told them it was true, but he wanted to bring them to the place where they were confronted with their own way of thinking. And then at that moment when they realized we're stuck, that's when he was going to offer a course correction. He wanted them to verbalize, we cannot feed all these people. The need is larger than my resources. We can't 
cover the cost. What we have, Jesus, the five loaves, the two fish, won't even put a dent in the need. And this leads us to our natural, though flawed, way of thinking. The natural question is, what can I afford? They're already doing the math. I'd have to work for months. Even if we worked for months, we couldn't cover this cost. But Jesus didn't ask how much it would cost. He didn't even go there. Jesus didn't say, uh, do some calculations here, will you? Judas, you've got the money bag. Would you just total this up and see what, what we're looking at here? Now, he capitalized on the moment to teach his disciples a very important lesson, a lesson on money and possessions that was going to change their lives forever and really impact the beginning of the church that they were going to be a part of the beginnings of. They needed what Jesus was bringing, and he brought it. John's gospel, his perspective tells us that Jesus had already planted the seed of thinking about food. See what I did there? Uh, Earlier in the day, here's what Jesus said, John chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? You ever been there? Maybe like me, you dropped a blue envelope in that box or whatever you did today, and you're like, (laughs) well, hope it helps. Knowing in a $500,000 goal, what you gave, what I gave, will just be swallowed up in a total. And what difference would it make anyway? And Jesus' disciples modeled for us perfectly that perspective of what they could afford. And it's here, now that they've admitted it, Jesus offers a course correction and reveals how he wanted them to think. It's the better question. It's the one you and I need to ask. And it's this, what do I have? What do I have? The natural question would be, what can I afford? Big need, small resources. Jesus says, no, 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 no. What do I have is the question. That's what he asked him in in Mark 6, 38. What do you have? It's a really simple question, but it's really profound. Without demanding that they find a way to feed all the people, he just says, just take a look. What do you got? What do you got? He didn't tell him to go to the market to purchase food. He didn't say, I tell you what, this is a business opportunity. I'm going to employ my entrepreneurial skills. We're going to start a catering service. This is amazing. I'll teach you guys cater. We're going to make bank. This is going to be great. No, he didn't do that. I think he pressed on their mindset of scarcity. We talked last week about it. God provides, and then we just consume what he provides. And so because we've done that, then we lack. We don't have enough because we've used it. And because we lack, then we fear. And I don't like feeling that way, so I medicate it with more stuff, and now I'm in debt. Jesus just presses on their faulty way of thinking. And here's what he said in verse 18. Bring them here. Bring them here. I don't think Jesus' disciples had any idea how significant this moment was. Certainly they couldn't have known it was going to be recorded and passed down for ages and generations for us to look into this event. There's no way. All they knew was that there was a great big need and itty-bitty resources. 
And in one simple moment of obedience, Jesus was about to not only reveal his deity as God, but make an indelible mark on his followers' lives, influence their ministry, and result in incredible generosity in the early church, such that people went with their needs being met because everyone was just giving what they had. Not one person gave it all. Everyone gave something, and it was incredible. The hands and feet of Jesus just by giving what they had. So the disciples' approach is found when they say, send the crowds away. Let them figure this out. Jesus' approach is found when he says, you give. They're like, hey, Jesus, you send. And Jesus is like, hey, disciples, no, you give. You give. This is what we do. This is what we do. And that's the simple turn that you and I need to make. Not how much will it cost? What can I afford? What do I have? Simple enough. And if we did that, if we just said, this is what I got. What should we expect God would do with it? Let's look next at what happens here in Matthew 14. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, here's where the suspense is building. We're going to find out how many people were there with five loaves and two fish all fed. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now, I'm looking at this, I don't know how much bread you, like five loaves and two fish, that could be lunch for one person if you, if you love bread. Like I'm thinking this week, I'm going to pound some rolls. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. But you basically have lunch for a couple people here. The need was lunch for thousands, dinner maybe. What they had was five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish cannot feed 15 to 20,000 people. But five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus can. The disciples' resources were outmatched by the need, for sure. But when they gave it to Jesus, their resources outmatched the need by far. We're talking, as I said, 15 to 20,000 people. I'm not a fan of the NBA Maybe you are, but I do know that the average NBA arena holds 15 to 20,000 people. It would take three tractor trailer loads of food to feed that many people. They had a sack lunch. Everyone was fed, and it wasn't like a starter, it wasn't an appetizer. Everyone had all that they wanted, and there was more left over. In the hands of Jesus, a sack lunch is dinner for thousands. So let's make sure we capture the events of what's happening. Jesus is helping them ask the better question here, all right? He's, he's going to frame something for them. And here's what we see first. Go ahead and show this first one. The disciples give what they have. After they do that, God blesses what is given. After that, God multiplies what's blessed. And then the need is met. 
with leftovers. It's just crazy. But consider this. The miracle didn't start until the food left the disciples' hands. What did they have to do? They had to give it. In their hands, it's five and two. In Jesus' hands, it's so much more. And this is what can happen when we follow Jesus and just simply give what we have. One simple act of obedience can have such a profound impact on so many people's lives. We saw this last week when Paul was writing to the church of the Corinthians saying, you gave and God multiplied and blessed and now they're generous and you're generous and everyone's generous and needs are being met and God is being glorified. This is incredible. This harvest of generosity. That's what we're talking about. There's power when we give. There's blessing when we give. And please understand what I'm trying to communicate. The motivation here is not give to get. This is give to give and just watch God work. We give because he gave. That's it. Not because I said so. I'm just trying to show you what Jesus has to say about all of this kind of stuff. He's been so generous with us. This is what we do. And in the economy of Jesus, little becomes so much more. I want to encourage you. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you have. It doesn't even matter to me. And I'm not even sure it really matters to God. What matters is your perspective on, on what you have. And are you willing to put it in Jesus' hands and let him do his thing with it? In the economy of Jesus, the actions of one, the decisions of one can bless so many more. Things got very real for Jesus. Later on, as John is writing about Jesus' life, we're not talking about dinner anymore. We're talking about something far more important, far more weighty. And Jesus, again, uses the illustration of a seed talking about his own life. Here's what John says that Jesus said. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus is saying, my death is going to result in something far more than the absence of one more person on the face of the earth. My death is going to result in new life for so many. And Paul echoes this truth when he writes to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 18. Here's what he says. Going way back to the beginning, the first man, Adam. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Jesus' one act resulted in salvation being made available for every single person. One seed planted. Countless lives changed. Yet, this is not the way I often think. Because I see the need, and I see my resources, and I say, I really can't afford it. I have to bow out on this one. Jesus demonstrates the better question in that moment is, what do I have? What do I have? 
And I think this touches more than money for us. I think this touches our time. I think it touches our talents, the energies we have. Are we willing to let God do something with it? For some of you, you're more, you just need to hit your knees and pray for people who need praying for. Pray for this church. Pray for the people you want to see God invade their lives and change them. The disciples' plan, send them away. Jesus' plan, no, you give. You give. Just bring me what you have. Just bring it. And it seems counterintuitive. <laughs> and it is. But this is what we do. All four gospel writers highlighted this so that we understand that when I have it, it's five loaves and two fish. When God has it, it's so much more. This really pops up all over Scripture. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 says this, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's amazing to just do what you can, whatever it is, and watch God take it from there. And I'm wondering, what are you thinking? How, how can you get started on this today? Because I know reality is that for some of us, this really does look like what we have. But would you view it as a seed today? Not an amount, a seed. Give it to Jesus. Plant that thing and see what he does with it. Watch him grow your faith. Let's stop trying to assess our ability to meet a need and just assess our willingness to be involved in what God is doing. I wondered if you would be willing to consider what you have as a seed. Now to review, we started talking about this last week. Some of us, we're not in the giving game at all. We need to just get in the game. Let me give you your first step. We use the example of a, uh, a flip-flop. This is for casual wear. This is really reflective of the fact that what you're doing, though it means something, it's not all that costly to you. You can wear this pretty casually, get done what you need to. And I'm just saying give regularly. Forget about the amount. Just make a habit of giving. I even said last week too, if, if, you're not, if you don't believe that God is um, at work at Bridgewater in a way that you would really like to see, fine, give somewhere else, but start giving. Just give and watch God work in your heart with what you give. But if you are giving regularly, then your next step would be to give proportionately. Choose an amount over and against your income that you would give. This is going to cost you something. When you wear a sneaker, when you're going to be on your feet all day long, it's going to mean something. It might not be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it's going to mean something. You kind of need this for what you're about to get involved in. But if you're giving proportionately to your income... Your next step would be then to give sacrificially. We use the hiking boot to illustrate this because when you wear this and you do what you're going to do in this, you're going to feel it. You probably won't forget it. It's going to change things for you because now you're committed to something that it's going to touch you and you will know that you've done it. But I'm just saying, get involved. I, we encourage you to try the tithe. We said, just, just give God the first 10%. Just cut it off, delegate it to wherever you choose to give, trust God with it, 
and let him stir up generosity in your heart. As Jake said, today is Big Giving Day uh, for Vision 2023. Just want to remind you, some of you maybe weren't with us last week. This is what we're doing. Multiplication is the goal because that's just what God does with what we give. Jake talked about the need and hope for Korah in Ethiopia. That's going to be a portion of this. Community gatherings, that is quickly, effectively, and efficiently getting the gospel out through Bridgewater Church to other locations that otherwise we might not be able to get into. Service happened this morning already in Hancock, New York. We think we can do this more and more, and God will use it. Multiplying ministry leaders, training up people to, to serve in God's church some way. In the last five years, 10 interns, all 10 in full-time uh, ministry in the local church. Eight out of 10 are still with Bridgewater, even in other capacities. It's really, really been fun to watch God use people like that. Office renovations, just invited you to come by and see us. We'll have that conversation there. All right, in Tunkhannock Campus, we purchased that building because of God multiplying your gifts through cash. We need to get some work done on that building. And so we want to do that so that Tunkhannock can move out of their standing room facility into this facility so that they can launch from there. That's the goal. And that's what we're looking at this year. And as of Friday, 79 people already jumped on board this weekend and said, oh yeah, I'm getting, getting in on that. So we're just watching God move. It's been very exciting so far. And I want to just ask you a couple questions as we finish up. Would you offer it to Jesus? Whatever he's been pressing on your heart to offer, would you just give it to him? Say, okay, God, this is my time. This is my energy. This is my talent. These are my resources. I'm just going to offer it to you. I'm just going to do it. It's a seed. It's basically nothing. I need you to do what you do with it. Would you give, trusting God to bless it and then, and then to multiply it? In our hands, it's just what it is. In the hands of Jesus, it's just so much more. But if you're like me, it takes some doing in my heart to get me motivated. But this is what we do. Would you pray with me? I'll invite the band up. God, I wish it weren't true, but money and possessions and stuff wraps its cords around my heart and uh, gets a grip on me when it shouldn't. It becomes important to me in ways that it, it shouldn't. And I'm asking you today for me and for everyone here, for Bridgewater Church, Would you help us to think your way about money and possessions and stuff? Would you help us to trust you to just do what you do and we'll just do our part and give it over? And when we do that, would you fill us with joy? And would you do with our gifts something so amazing we couldn't help but give you all the credit and all the praise? And as we do that, would you fill us with joy? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.